0: Welcome to the Diabetes Primetime Podcast, where we talk to diabetes experts about how to live a long, healthy life with diabetes. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at www.diabeteswhattoknow.com or just search Diabetes What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life
1: easier. Dr. Vallis, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, you're very welcome.
0: So you're a psychologist who really focuses on diabetes and weight management and behavior change. So I'm so excited to dive into this topic with you tonight. So let's just start off. Why can having a good morning routine help people with diabetes or anyone really be healthier?
1: Right. Maybe a good way to start is to flip it around and ask, how easy is it to get back on track after you've fallen off the track. (laughs) Not easy. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's really, you know, the the sort of initial patterns. We're very uh, ritual-based people. I mean, if you see a friend in the mall from a distance, you kind of know it's your friend before you're actually close enough to see their face. Why is that? Because of the way they hold themselves, the way they walk. And you can kind of tell it from that so that, you know, we, we are, by nature, we get into habits. And so, if you can establish habits at the beginning, then it sort of, one leads to the other, leads to the other.
0: So, let's talk a little bit, because I think you're alluding to this, and I think it's interesting for people to hear, why our brains work so heavily with patterns and, and with habits? Like, oh, yes. why we kind of put things on autopilot just, and and that's why habits make such a difference, whether we realize it or not, with what we end up doing.
1: A Great question. I appreciate that. It's actually the perfect question to really have this conversation about. And I think I'll just illustrate it to everyone. So, whether you're sitting or standing, I'd just like you to pay attention to the sensations in the bottom of your feet. So, just focus on the sensations in the bottom of your feet. Now, focus on the sensation in your back. And notice something. Before I told you to direct your attention to that part of your body, you weren't aware of it. Now, I got to tell you, your feet were still on the floor before you focused on them. Right. Right? So, what does that tell us? That simply, there is too much information that we need to process at any one moment. Right. So, if you think about our attention like a spotlight in a lighthouse that goes around and around and around, that's what our brains are like. So, we're always scanning the environment. And of course, survival has always been important to us. Yes. So, we scan the environment for threats, for problems. That's why it's so easy to remember an insult and <laughs> hard to remember a compliment. And so, we scan around and around, and so we have to shift things to automatic pilot.
0: Otherwise, our brains would just be on overload. If we were we're feeling our feet and our back all the time, it would just be too much.
1: Too much information Mm -hmm. to pay attention to, right? Even sounds, sights, uh, it's just way, way too much. You have to be able to focus your attention. So, habits are absolutely necessary, and really, the way the brain works is that we shift from controlled processing Mm -hmm. to automatic processing. Think about driving a car. If you drive, have driven a car for any length of time, you don't even think about it. How did you start to drive a car? You had to think about right. it.
0: Right. You had to consciously be like, "I'm turning that's on right. the blinker." I'm turning. Exactly. The- right. And that's right. why you
1: were so slow. Right. <laughs> that's why. That's why it. That's it why didn't teenagers are well. lousy drivers. That's right, <laughs> Exactly. You actually don't kind of get ready to take your test until it sort of becomes automatic. And it sounds kind of funny, but just imagine the following. Next time you, let's say you're driving home from work tonight. I'd just like you to talk yourself, put stopping your car back into controlled processing. And you'll be very grateful for habits. Because (laughs) if you were driving on the street and you had to say to yourself, okay, lift your right foot up, move it over two inches and push, you would be running into the car in front of you. But what do habits, how do they protect you? you've stopped the car before you even realize what's going on, you've automatically just done it. So, so habits are really necessary mm-hmm. because they're the only way that we can we can process information, they're the only way that we can function. And that's why humans really like patterns.
0: Alright, so we're going to be re-engineering our brains today, folks, to help us develop healthy habits in the morning so they just become automatic. So, Dr. Vallis, talk to us about how even us night owls can have better mornings.
1: When we say mornings, we don't mean 5 (laughs) a.m. We don't mean 6 a.m. We mean that you have a rhythm. It's a rhythm of the day. And this rhythm is the sort of natural flow that you have. Some people are actually morning people. So their rhythm through the day is that they'll get up early and have productivity and be focused and in a happy mood and then come mid evening they start to get really really tired and a little bit grumpy and they sort of start to check out and then other people it's not they're slow to start Mm -hmm. and they need a bit of time and they sort of have lots of time in the evening and so I would define morning relative to your cycle when we're talking about healthy habits in the morning, we're talking about when you get up.
0: (laughs) Whenever that is. It could be 11 (laughs) a.m. That's
1: that's right. Exactly. We're not trying to say that there's only one pattern, because one of the things that that really psychology is sometimes seen as the psychology is the the science of individual differences. In other words, one size does not fit all. Mm -hmm. And so, we can talk about general healthy behaviors and habits, but they have to fit the person. So, I really don't want someone to be thinking, yay, I'm a I, I get up at five, so somehow I'm better than those people that can't really you know pry their eyes open until nine. Right. It's it's really a matter of saying when your natural rhythm allows you to wake up and it fits into your life pattern. Because if you're a night owl, you're probably gonna or have s- selected activities. You're probably not a morning talk show host <laughs> right. if you're a, a night owl. Right? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Unless you're just so,
0: playing through, just staying no up kidding. And- <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Short career. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've all sort of have our rhythm. So it's really kind of saying, okay, now, when I get started, how do I get started?
0: You and I talked about this when we were talking about this episode a couple of weeks ago. You said you already have a morning routine. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of figuring out what it is and then totally. thinking about how you want to re-engineer that. So talk someone through how to figure out what, what my morning routine is now.
1: It, it's actually really, really simple. You could just journal it. You could just Just say, okay, take a typical weekday morning and then a typical weekend morning. And what's it look like? And if you just observe and just sort of think about recording it. The first is it would be really, really easy if you're part of a family or you live with someone, you can easily observe their routine because you're sort of watching them. Right. Right? And so just sort of think about it. It's almost like if you had a video camera following you around. And that those are just the patterns. What's interesting, and I think what we can talk about, is giving ourselves the opportunity to ask okay, why are we doing that? Right. Are we choosing to do that? Is that the way we really want to? Or do we simply say, everybody in my family has always done it this way. This is just the way we do it. So, the idea of a healthy habit is really to look at your current behavior and then sort of start to really kind of study it a little bit. and Become aware. Absolutely. And unless there's a real investment in something, habits are actually not very difficult to change. That's
0: good to hear. (laughs) That's really positive. All right. So it's possible. It's just a matter of becoming aware. And then what?
1: Oh, and and then making a choice. So, so, you know, what, what, so for instance, what would be the behaviors that you would be interested in engaging in? Okay. What are the behaviors that other people are interested in you engaging in? So this could be your family. Mm -hmm. What are the things that maybe you've been recommended to do? This could be your healthcare provider. And then we sort of sit down and kind of figure out, okay, what kind of would be the sort of the best compromise and the one that I can sort of live with? Um, Don't choose a goal that you don't think is realistic. Um, And then it becomes really quite a matter of engineering your activities and then allowing habit to form. And I think this is where it's key that people, in my experience as a psychologist, People kind of decide how they're doing after five or six times. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know what? Let's evaluate this new habit after the 85th time you've done it. Oh, wow. Okay, so
0: Thank really. Thank you for that reaction. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got it, right? So you see the difference? Yes. So the, oh, I can't do it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Right. And then as a psychologist, someone said that to me. I would say, okay, like how many times did you try it?
0: Well, even as you're saying that, right. I'm thinking about when I was 16 and learning how to drive. It took a lot of time in the car before it became second nature, and I that's what I hear you saying. Also, I think the average the the studies show that it takes someone on average seven to ten times to quit smoking before they're able to be successful. So that's what I hear right. you saying. Yes. Give it that 85 times before yeah. you say, "Oh, right. this just didn't work for me." Be patient. It's going right. to take some time.
1: Absolutely, it's going to take time because you have to. If you think about the way I like to think about it is that when we make a choice to change we're kind of like taking the generic version imagine if our clothing was was kind of just one size then you had to tailor it so you bought a dress you bought a shirt you mm-hmm. bought a sweater I buy something as well and then it's just like it's the same thing for everybody okay <laughs> and then you have to alter it to fit the person <laughs> mm-hmm. and and really the healthy lifestyle is once you've made it yours and so there's a tendency to a be really really quick, I've tried it five times it's not working absolutely you, you can't really expect it to work until the 105th time right so we, we're way way too quick and then the second is that we have to go through these we call that behavioral cycling so it's not a setback it's certainly not a failure it's learning these are opportunities for learning so i tried to <laughs> Do it in this way. And it didn't work. And then the question is, because? Why? Right.
0: What can I learn and from And it didn't it? work
1: because I have a five-year-old child. It yes. didn't work because my, my life partner is completely opposed to that. Right. It didn't work because my next-door neighbors are in the rock band. I mean, whatever <laughs> it could be. <laughs> and, and, and so, then it's like, oh, okay, now what's your plan B? And then what's your plan C? Right. Uh, when it comes to change, I, I really think that the, the following statement's important because it's actually true the strongest predictor of success is not giving up because what happens is either you achieve the goal or if you don't give up you kind of start to adapt and right. you realize you know i'm sorry i don't know what you how you dressed when you were a teenager but i can <laughs> confess that when i was a teenager i kind of dressed the way i thought i would like to dress right and I dressed in really stupid looking things (laughs) and now I I shudder when I look at
0: pictures (laughs) of myself as a teenager.
1: (laughs) And now I kind of dress in things that actually I like. (laughs) And so it's kind of like that, right? If you don't give up, you sort of find a pattern that either you're successful with habit, with repetition, or you actually figure out how it fits you.
0: Okay. So I wanted to highlight two things you're saying here, because I think this is really different than the way a lot of us, me especially, think about habits. So one is it's not a failure. It's an opportunity for learning. It's going to make you more successful next time by figuring out why it didn't work this time. So that's right. big. And I think that's big for diabetes because there's so many times that things don't go the way we want them to. And rather than saying, uh, I failed instead, it's like, oh man, this is an opportunity for learning. And then second, you know, really kind of zeroing in on, let me be aware of like, why things didn't work and really be right. deliberate and intentional about why it didn't go the way I want so that I don't give up, just reframe and keep trying. And right. because diabetes is forever, you know, this is yes. something we're going to be dealing with forever. Yeah. And so keeping yeah. that positive framework and recognizing the only thing I can do that's not great is quit. So, I'm right. so glad to That's hear right. you
1: saying all this yeah. about habits. And I think the other thing about this to, for people to sort of reflect on as they begin to work on their habits, and I made a comment at the b- very beginning, I don't know if, if people kind of picked it up, and that is that unless you're invested in the other behavior, so if you want to change from to, if it's just a habit, then it can be changed because there's no real investment in it. It's not all that important to you. So, you know what? i would give you a month and you could brush your teeth with your other hand, <laughs> Right, right. Yes. I mean, okay, maybe you're right-handed in that, but you know what? that doesn't matter. If if there was some reason why you thought brushing was worth doing, you could do it because it doesn't matter to you.
0: Yes, that's right. right. And
1: once you got kind of comfortable with it, like if you had a broken arm,
0: right, and six you weeks have you to. had to brush your teeth. Yes, then, exactly. You know, at
1: the end of the six weeks, you might actually find it awkward to go back.
0: Right. To yeah, the other. Yeah, you've gotten way, used to it. Right. right.
1: But when people start to change their habits, sometimes they're going to discover that there's an investment in those behaviors. Right. They serve a purpose. So you, when you understand that purpose, again, that's where we talk about replacing a function. Right. Okay. So um, let's say you're really, really uh, uncomfortable in your work environment. Work's a very stressful thing. Thing and you find it very difficult to, you know, focus on healthy behaviors or, uh, uh, yeah, at your morning because you're kind of worried about the day. You're kind of distracted. Yeah. You're kind of focused, and the the uh, the less healthy behaviors maybe they even kind of help you a little bit. like they kind of stress you. With your, yeah, with your head covered under the blankets, <laughs> or you just want to have some more coffee. Or, you know, and then you're sort of saying, okay, this is my way of avoiding what's right. going on at work. Right. So that kind of is also can be helpful because then it sort of points the person in the direction of really an important concept called replacing the function so you know you need to figure out you can be helped if you figure out another way to do what managing. i need to do right some of it is solving the problem
0: Right. Well, I think often I hear from people that the things we do are for a good reason. You know, we're really trying to take care of ourselves. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to beat up on ourselves and saying, why do I keep making this decision or this choice that I'm not proud of? When really what you're talking about is taking a step back, understanding why we do what we do, recognizing, oh, maybe I keep hitting snooze because I'm not going to sleep early enough, or maybe I keep hitting snooze because I don't want to go to work. So, how can I, you know, solve that problem? problem differently rather than just continuing to feel shame about this behavior that I'm not happy about. Is that what, you is that the, what you're saying?
1: You, no kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. You made the comment at the beginning that, you know, I work in the fields of diabetes, obesity, chronic disease, around the behavioral piece, and I feel very strongly that you really cannot change your behavior in the context of shame. Yes. shame is toxic to behavior change. Shame is an emotional experience. It's kind of a a cognitive emotional experience, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's a feeling, but there's a lot of thoughts that are going (laughs) on. There's a lot of chatter. And those thoughts are really dark, and they are really, really distressing. And it's actually an experience that really nobody can cope with. You have to bail.
0: Mm -hmm. You just have to walk away. You just have to get away. Mm
1: -hmm. And you'll do anything to get away. So, the environment of change is really a, what we call non-judgmental curiosity. I wonder why I'm struggling. Maybe I'm struggling, as you say, because I'm having difficulty getting to bed on time. I need to figure out how I can watch sports and still have my day. Um, uh, you know, or it's because I'm avoiding work, yes. or it's because you know, I'm feeling down about something or there's a, a, an issue that's going on. So if you're non-judgmentally curious, then that will allow you to problem solve. And we tend to think that we're in control of our lives. And of course, we can make many, many choices. But at the end of the day, we contextually bound by our culture, our age, our socioeconomic level, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so you know, behavior has to be understood, and the limits of our behavior need to be understood. One thing I really encourage people to not do is compare yourself to others.
0: Oh, gosh. Comparisons because are toxic.
1: Because when you start, right, especially when you're trying to change. Oh, yeah. look at these other people. They do it so easily. It just comes to them so naturally. And, they and with must diabetes, be so much...
0: you know, it's all different for everybody. There's different genetic Absolutely. components for different people. So to say, oh, you know, they were able to lose 20 pounds with diet and exercise and get off medication, and I can't. That means I've failed. You you have no idea what you're comparing. So it's, I mean, it's, Absolutely. yeah,
1: it's so tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a psychologist, we see that every single day. We see people who others might say, oh, this person is not coping well, that's why they're seeing a psychologist. And you know, after spending like 35 years doing this, how the majority of people you see, you end up thinking, wow, I wish I had the strength to go see someone my problem." So, what we see as psychologists, in fact, is how hard people are working yes. and the reason that they're not being successful is actually less related to their efforts and more related to the environment yes. in which they're experiencing it. And understanding that then helps us to support the person for what is your next step. What so, is your next step? when you change behavior, and that next step should be doable and worthwhile. And it has to have that balance. And again, not only do we focus on quick change, we also tend to focus on dramatic change, go big or go home. And those are, unfortunately, the cultural stories we tell each other, right? Those are the movies we go see. Yes. Where, you know, the person is in, you know, sort of fall down in the race and gets up and still wins the gold medal. Guess what? That doesn't happen. Right.
0: We got to start small. Yes. Yeah. You got to
1: start small. And everyone should have a next step. And as you build your... um, your patterns of behavior, small step after small step, then this is really what leads to what's called the confidence to overcome the barriers. And so, that's a, this, there's a technical term for that. It's called self-efficacy, which is the confidence that you can actually do it, not because you're hoping, but because you've actually done it. And you it's those small yes. steps. That's yes. right. Because you've, atchi- you've,
0: you've set small goals, you've achieved them, and so you right. believe, I can do oh. this.
1: Yeah, if you're at step 10... <laughs> Can you do step 11? When step 11 is exactly the same as step 1, step 2, step 3, step 4, step 5. It's like, yeah, I can do those, though. I can do that. And not because of hope, but because of this sort of inherent confidence. So, it's the sort of slow and steady that build the confidence, not dramatic changes.
0: All right. So we're going to get into the to the weeds a little bit here. Um, let's say that someone wants to start a new habit, and in, in the book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg, the author, he talks about how if we want to start a new habit, we need to connect that new habit to something we already do. So let's say, Dr. Vallis, that I want to start exercising in the morning how might I start connecting that habit to an existing one, like pouring my first cup of coffee?
1: You can really do two things. One is you can use it as a cue to the next behavior. Mm-hmm. So, plan your activities. Okay, I'll have my coffee and then I'll go down to the to the exercise room because mm-hmm. they're kind of one and the same and you sort of keep those together.
0: Yeah, you kind of link um, them.
1: Or you use it as a reinforcement. You use the, okay, I'll set this goal of doing the exercise, and then I'll have my coffee. Now, and I'll tell you a little trick I use to sort of with this is what do we mean by exercise, right? So, I, I'm a runner, and I like to run in the mornings. Um, but for me, I my rule is five minutes.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so just get started. So,
1: I can turn around after five minutes. That's my rule. So, if I don't feel like running in the morning, then you know what? I don't have to. I can just go five minutes and come back. But let's be honest, I've, I think twice in my life, both times I've been ill, <laughs> Where I, I, you know, I've actually had a cold or not felt well. Right. And it wasn't until, and I got out and I started running and I realized, I really don't feel well. So, I went home. Every other time I've done that. It's just been like I'm not going to turn around now. I've already gotten up. I'm already out of bed. So just right? getting
0: started is yeah. the is the hardest
1: yeah. part. Absolutely. Yeah. And if people have problems with the bed, right? Put your alarm clock on the other side of the room <laughs> so you have to walk across to get it. You know, make it sort of inconvenient because again, most of us are warm and cuddly, but as soon as we get our feet on the floor and we're 3 steps away, it changes quickly. So, yeah, you know, chaining together these behaviors can be really, really helpful. Similarly, other behaviors like you know food choices, etc., mm-hmm. medication, taking your medications, something like so this.
0: important for people with diabetes. Yeah, yes,
1: put it you know put it right by your coffee machine, put it by your toothbrush, put it by um, where you keep your keys. Whatever would allow you to kind of uh, many, many times. What happens is that people oh I forgot right and so you know until the habit gets really well established, it's easy to slip. And these kind of chaining of a, of situations can actually make it easier Um, because it's like it's right there and then you sort of that's what I find really interesting when I work with people because that's where you get the like oh I don't really want to take this medication <laughs> and then of course that's not a habit problem
0: no it, wait, that's an
1: acceptance right, problem, right right so if you're living with diabetes and someone has said okay here's a new prescription for you Ansley and so you know you fill it now you've got a second pill bottle by the by the coffee cup and mm-hmm. you, you kind of go in and you think oh I don't want this and that's important because then you can address that issue
0: right <clears throat> but
1: that's a that's that's a diabetes acceptance management issue, not a habit issue. Right. And again, I, I'd like people to separate that out because I want to. I want people to feel very optimistic about the actual behavioral habit is actually straightforward. We, we, we can fairly, I, I, I think the success rate, it's like 85% success rate in habit change um, when you actually sort of separate the habits from the invested behavior or the emotional side of things. So making
0: sure that it's something that is really important to us and then um, doing something like that visual cue, I really like, you know, putting our medication bottle by our keys or by the coffee, where it's going to really remind us. Oh, this is something I know I'm going to do every morning. You know, connecting my, putting my exercise shoes right where my keys are, so it's like I know right. I'm going to bring them and go to the gym yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. first thing. Two other comments to make about these kinds of behavioral habits is a lot of times, and I do this quite often. Um, so I'll just give you a real world example. Many people are interested in eating changes, and right now this ketogenic diet is a fairly popular approach. So I see people very, very commonly say, that well, I'm really interested in this ketogenic diet. And then I say, well, can you tell me why you're interested in this diet? I don't judge people's diets. people. I'm happy to support people in whatever they feel is reasonable. My interest is, can they sustain it? That's right. my only
0: question. Right. Is it something you can stick to?
1: Exactly. But nonetheless, and the, almost every single person tells me a story of somebody else. <sighs> I've got a neighbor who's on this diet. I read a book about this and this person said this or I've seen this this, you know, celebrity who's done it. And so, it's not them. It's, you know, I mean? it's it's what are you actually doing it for? So, when you create a goal, where's it coming from? Why do you want to do that goal? Is it because you think you should? Or is it because something that's actually meaningful to, to you? you? Personal yes. meaning. Yes. And this starts to connect behavior to values. Mm-hmm. And what we know about a person's value is that they're willing to work hard for it. So, if I say to you, do you have children? And you said yes. And I would say that bliss from the moment your child was born. You'd burst out laughing. If I asked you if you had a life partner you, and you said yes, I would say bliss from the moment you burst in, and you'd burst out laughing again. And then if I said, "Why are you laughing?" you would say, "Are you kidding me? Raising a family is really, really hard. Being in a long-term committed relationship is really hard. There's a lot of stress. And so the question is, why are you doing it?" Because it matters to us. Right. Right. Anything that's worth, uh, is worth tolerating the distress for. So if you can say, I want to establish this morning habit, I want to sort of chain these healthy behaviors together. And remember, when you come back from the gym, you don't want a donut. You want an orange.
0: Well, okay. So that, it was my next question for you, which is another reason we keep hearing why mornings are so important is, you know, healthy behavior leads to healthy behavior, leads to healthy behavior. When you do exercise, you do just, kind of naturally want healthier food. Why is that? What is the phenomenon at work there?
1: Well, I think it's actually really very, very interesting. And and I think it kind of reflects really the nature of humans. Mm -hmm. We use it or lose it. Um, We are hunter-gatherers. You know, if you think about when we were literally hunter-gatherers, you know, our prey was the occasional buffalo, the occasional deer. They run a lot faster than we do. So how could we catch those critters? (laughs) Guess what? Two and a half days later, we were still running. We outlasted them. So we've got this energy, you know, and that's the natural state for us to expend energy. But because the human brain is also asked to survive, we then save the energy whenever we can. So, you know, a moving sidewalk in an airport has been built to save time. Right. You're supposed to keep walking, right? An escalator was built to save time but we use it to save energy. So it's overcoming that tendency. So when we actually establish these healthy habits, they sort of really reflect on, you know, a lot of these behaviors are increased physical activity. Uh, We know that one of the things that's the most dangerous to North American is being sedentary. So physical activity counters that. It puts us, I think, in a much more natural state. And our body is designed to process foods that fit one of the following categories. You can pick it off a tree or a bush, you can dig it out of the ground, or you can hunt it down and kill it. And food that comes from those forms is just good food. The food that gets us in trouble are processed foods. Yes. That fit none of those kind of categories. Yes. So I think what ends up happening is that there's just sort of a, almost like a harmony. You're a little bit more at one with the world, you, you know, this is how we would have, we got up with the sun, we went down with the sun. And so there is this sort of, you know, you know, daily variation to our activities. Establishing those healthy behaviors now are really useful. And the other thing is that it's just, you know, I know for myself, and I think for, for most of us, we would say that as the day goes on, you have more and more demands on your time yes. and less and less resources to do those demands. So try to get back onto a healthy track at seven o'clock at night when you still have family <laughs> duties, you still have things on your to-do list that you haven't done, you're really, really tired. Right. It's not a great time. So right. kind of getting started and kind of keeping going kind of allows us to you know, shift. So uh, one of the things that we see in diabetes with a lot of unhealthy eating pattern isn't really the total calories, but that many people will say to you that during the hours of the day when they're active and are spending the most amount of calories, from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., they take in the fewest amount of calories. Right. And then during the period of the day that they're least active, 4 to 10 they take in most, most of their calories. Carbs. So right. you can see some professional dietitians who will be very interested in helping people match, right? When we were in the agricultural cultures, we were farmers. We had a large breakfast. We had a very large lunch. That was our main meal of the day. And we had a very small dinner. Right. So we kind of matched our intake with our output. So there is a lot of, of um, really harmony, I think, that's connected to establishing healthy behaviors early. And as we live with chronic conditions, so we're talking about diabetes, you know, those early day behaviors around self-monitoring your blood glucose, yes. around your medication yes. regimen, et cetera, those become really, really important. And I think anyone with diabetes would know that if they kind of start their day okay, then they can sort of manage. But if they start their day behind. and it's behind, then it can be really, really difficult to catch Always trying up. to catch up. Yeah.
0: Gosh, Dr. Vallis, this has been so inspiring once again the time has flown thank you so much for joining us we will have you back on we we so appreciate your hopeful and inspiring perspective
1: oh you're very welcome